consider our time together. I think about Christmas and all of us have stories, I'm sure. Growing up, my favorite thing to do was to help decorate. Now, how that normally went was I like to decorate up until a certain point and then mom would finish it late into the evening. That may be the same at your house, I'm not sure. But I always loved to do the nativity set. That was my favorite. I was always going after the nativity set from an early age. I remember pulling out all of the, the pieces, getting the, the stable there, pulling out baby Jesus and seeing that. It's almost like opening up that present again every single year. I remember looking at each one of them, seeing how many times I've broken the arm off the shepherd and, and, and glued that back together. Y'all probably hadn't done that kind of stuff. Considering all those pieces, and my favorite piece is always for us, of course, I'm going to give you the, the, the church answer. That was always Jesus. But my favorite pieces were the wise men. I loved pulling out the wise men. And I can remember the real pain in my heart whenever my Sunday school teacher there, when I was in elementary school, told me, you know, Josh, the wise men probably weren't at the stable that night. And I mean, that crushed me. Because forever I had placed them right there at the stable and they were there, rightfully so, whether they got there that night or within those next two years as we know from scripture, it's right for us to put them there with the birth of Jesus. It's right for us to put them in that just as our gospel writers do in the gospel of, of Matthew. And I consider what the wise men said. The wise men came into town having come from the east, from afar, maybe India, maybe even farther than that, coming into Bethlehem. And they came there. And as they came into Judah, they asked this question, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Those wise men came because they saw the star that had risen. And there, that great image of the birth of Christ, that star that was placed above where Christ was, that directed the wise men to come and to see the one who had been born of king, the king of the Jews. That star represents so much for us. That star represents the teaching of the Old Testament, as I've already mentioned, that told us that the light was coming and that light is the light of men, as we read from John. That star says that this light who has come is the signal for all peoples. As it shines so brightly, those who were far in the east saw it in Cain. That star represents the one in, in Isaiah as it says that his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelled in deep darkness on, the light, on them, the light has shone. That star represents all of that. The light shining in the darkness. But really that star, as we dig a little deeper, tells us more than that. And in order to find out what it does tell us, we have to look to a non-traditional Christmas passage. Now, I may be stepping out on a limb here, but I'm pretty sure you have not been in a Christmas service where you have studied Numbers chapter 22 through 24. Some of y'all probably have gotten bogged down before you get to that in your one-year reading plan with your Bible. You know what I'm talking about. 
And so as we consider it tonight, those passages from Numbers 22 through 24 maybe can give us a little bit of insight even to this baby who had been born in Bethlehem. In Numbers 22, God's people are moving through the the wilderness, heading toward the promised land. It already had been 40 years since the Exodus, and now they're marching, not, 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 no longer staying put there in the wilderness. They're marching toward the promised land of God. They're heading toward the land he had showed them. And as they head that way, they're confronted over and over again by other peoples and, and, and armies. And this ragtag bunch moving through the wilderness continually overcomes those armies through God's strength and God's power. He fights for his people. And they continue to move and they experience many victories and they come to the land of Moab right outside of Israel. And one ruler had heard how they were coming through and how they had experienced so many victories and it was impossible to beat them. His name was Balak. And Balak sent for a famous prophet. He said, I know what I can do. I can find me a famous prophet from the east who will come out here and have more power than the God of Israel and he can curse them. He'll curse these people, and that way I won't even have to fight him. I will find me someone who will curse them and who will be greater than their God. So Balak sent for a famous prophet from the east, one that had a strong reputation for speaking words of power, cursing others. He sent for a man named Balaam. And Balaam, he sent for him and asked him to come and curse the people of God. He said, perhaps then I shall be able to beat them. Balaam reluctantly comes. In fact, he says no several times until Balaam ups the ante and gives him a little bit more and more money. And finally, when the price gets racked, Balaam says, I'll be on my way. I'm coming. And on the way, he's riding his donkey and something quite memorable happens. As Balaam is riding his faithful donkey, to come to where Balak is, the donkey begins to stop and won't go any further. The donkey stops over and over again and and Balaam whips his donkey and hits him and screams at him and yells at him and does everything he can. Y'all probably don't have donkeys like that, but but Balaam did. And so there, that donkey, finally, it will not budge. And Balaam finally hits that donkey so hard The scripture tells us that the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and the donkey said, what have I ever done to you? (laughs) Now, some of y'all may think that that's not a story I can believe. No way a donkey talks. No way God can make a donkey talk. Well, I want you to know, I cannot believe in a God who couldn't make a donkey talk. And here the donkey speaks, what have I done to you? And at that time, the scripture says, Balaam's eyes were open and he saw what the donkey saw. He saw the angel of the Lord standing before him. And the angel of the Lord says, the angel of the Lord says, you are not going to curse God's people. You're going to bless God's people. You're not going to pronounce any curse upon them. You are going to bless them. You're going to bless them and you're going to encourage them. You're going to do the opposite of what you've said to do. Even though he was going to speak these curses out against God's people, he would bless them. Even though he was paid to curse them, he would be allowed to speak only if he would bless them, he said. So three times he goes to curse them. 
He needs to get his money. He's traveled a long way from the east. And three times he goes to curse him. But each time he tries to curse him, blessings come out. And listen to what he blesses him with. He says, first, God's people are precious to him and he cares for them. He wants to curse God's people, but he says in reality, no, God's people are precious to them, to him, and he wants to care for them in every way. Didn't work the first time. He went to curse them again, but instead of cursing them, he blesses them. He says, God's people are protected by God and no one can harm them. He goes to curse them a third time and he says, God will bless his people by being with his people. Three times he tried to curse them. And every single time blessing came out, God, God's people are precious to him. God will protect his people and God will bless them by being with them. Needless to say, Balak was not very happy. The man he had hired had done the opposite of what he had asked. He reprimands Balaam, but Balaam doesn't care. He says, I'm going back to my people. I'm going back to the east. And as he leaves, he offers one last word. He offers one last word. He says, unsolicited, let me tell you what will happen in the future, by the way. Balaam offers one little bit of advice to Balak, and he, he gives one last word. And this is what he says in Numbers 24, verse 17. He says, I see him, the one who will bring all the blessing, but not now. I behold him, but not near. He's coming in the future. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down the sons of Sheph. In other words, here is this prophet from far away in the east having come to curse God's people but has blessed them and told them that God loves them and cares for them more than they can ever know, that he will protect them on every step of the way and that he will always be with them. And as he's leaving, his parting shot to Balak is, you've got no chance because the God who loves his people, protects his people, and will be with his people is going to bless them in such a way that he'll send a king for his people. And you know what that sign's going to be for you? A star will rise. I often wondered, how did the wise men know? How did they see that star? Because this is several hundred years, and many have speculated they were into astronomy and noticing the skies and other things. But I'm sure, because the scriptures tell us, that Balaam heads back to the east, and he tells everyone of what he had seen and heard. I'm sure for centuries the prophecy of Balaam and the stories of Balaam had come down. And now these wise men see this star rising and says, maybe it has come true. Maybe it has come to pass that the one who would be born a king of the Jews as Balaam told us about, he's here. Let's go and let's see. And what they found when they got there was they found that baby having been born and they laid, believing the promises of Balaam, they laid their treasures down at his feet. And I believe as we gather here tonight, it's important for us to remember that prophecy of the star placed in the sky, that it would rise up there in the land of Judah, that the scepter, the king would come whenever that star rises. I believe that 
We should exercise even tonight just the faith that these wise men had. Where is he that's been born the king of the Jews? The one who's come for his people. And they remember those blessings of Balaam. We are precious to God. We are protected by him. We are blessed by him because he is with us. And the birth of that king in Bethlehem made every single one of those promises true. And what Christmas means to us, the birth of our Savior Jesus Christ, what that means to us is that we are precious to God. He has not forgot about us. He has not left us in the dark. He has come as the light to shine and cast away all darkness, to bring hope in the midst of hopelessness, to help us when we were helpless. He has come for us because he loves us. And the display that he will show on the cross is not the only display of love. The great display of love is seen in the whole life and coming of our Savior, born in a manger. Not only that, God's going to protect us. He's going to protect us because this baby that was born was no ordinary baby. This king in this manger was no ordinary king. This was the king of kings and lord of lords. This was the one who will come as the true warrior of God, who will fight against the great enemy of his people and put to death what his people could never conquer on their own and in their own strength, put to death death itself and bring life to them. This is what it means. This is the one who is Emmanuel, God with us, the one we've longed for, the one that brings all comfort because he never leaves us nor forsakes us. The one that brings all joy because in the day, in that final day, he will march us home to that promised land that is far greater than any land here on this planet. It's the land that we will find together with him in heaven for all glory eternity. When I think about Christmas, it can take a lot of work, can it? Some of you are like, you don't even know. I mean, I'm just happy to make it here. It's like I survived. <laughs> but I think about that first Christmas. My son, Wilds, and I were talking about it today. Be uh, Nazareth to Bethlehem, nine months pregnant on a donkey or walking. It's 97 miles. How about y'all get up tonight and walk to Columbia? It's the same difference. <laughs> you don't even have to be pregnant to see if that's hard. You think about that and what they went through to get to that first Christmas. You think about what the wise men went through, a journey that seemingly took a couple years to even get there, but they stayed with it and they persevered. Why? Just like Mary and Joseph stayed with it and they persevered. Why? Because they knew the joy that was coming in the light of the world. They knew that joy that would be there. But don't just consider that. Of course, their joy was there. Consider also what Christ did for us. When I think about Christmas, I think about this quote by a man who lived a couple hundred years ago, John Donne. And he says this, the whole of Christ's life was a continual passion. Others die martyrs, but Christ was born a martyr. He found a Golgotha when he was crucified, even in Bethlehem where he was born. For to his tenderness, then, the straws were almost as sharp as the thorns after, and the manger as 
uneasy at first as the cross at last. His birth and his death were but one continual act, and his Christmas day and his Good Friday are but the evening and the morning of one and the same day. From the cradle to the cross is an inseparable line. Christmas only points forward to Good Friday and Easter itself. It can have no meaning apart from that, where the Son of God displays his glory, not just by his birth, but by his death. Think about what it meant for our Savior to come for us, to leave the glories of heaven, to come to this place, to come into his own and his own would not receive him, to come and dwell here where darkness was ruling and reigning and light must shine, to come and leave the glories of heaven, to come and be born in a manger, forgotten about and left out, if you will. Think about what it meant for Christ to come for us. And then know that he was born to die. He was born to die. He came so that we could be free. He stepped down off of his throne and became a servant. The king became a servant so we could have our freedom. So he could purchase us back from sin and death and save us and redeem us. That's why he came. And that's why those wise men came into Bethlehem saying, where is he who was born the king of the Jews? And the presents they laid at his feet represent the very thing that he was coming to do. Live and die for his people. And think about the fact that just as he came the first time, he is coming again. The very coming of Christ was no easy thing. It was not just simply a snap of the finger. It was not just simply a, 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 a check of the box. It was painful and it was hard. And it ended on a bloody cross. But it ends with a glorious, glorious ending of a resurrected Savior who's done exactly what he came to do for us. So tonight, may we consider just how much Jesus loves us. May we consider just how much he did for us, how much labor it took for him to come to earth and die in our place. For he loves us. And our desire tonight more than anything else, my hope tonight for each and every one of you as you face Christmas tomorrow and our joy, our joy of being together with family and friends, our joy of celebrating this time, I want you to know how much he loves you. Christmas represents that. You're precious to him. He came for you. He protects you. He's with you. Let's pray together. Father, help us tonight to glory in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us to consider how hard it was even, Father, for him to come. That labor that he went through to even get from the cradle to the cross. And he did all of this because he loves us. So God, let us not neglect so great a love. We can't find it anywhere we look on this earth. Nothing like this before, nothing like this since is Christ always. And help us look to him even now, Father, in this moment and in this time. For it's in his name we come.